Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am really, really excited, and I'm also incredibly honored to have this guest on the show. Even before we were talking, she said something really, really powerful that she has a job in which she gets to do work that represents who she is as a person. And I just, nothing else, I'd, I'd probably be stuck with that phrase more than more than anything as we think about lots of stuff happening in the world and all the stuff that we deal with, both in our professional and personal lives. And while that's not necessarily the, the key topic of what we want to talk about today, I think it sits at the very core um, from this conversation we are going to have. Um, and I think you're going to feel that that passion and energy um, oozing out of this individual today. And so I am here today with, with Laura Miller. Laura, you have sparked a lot of new ways of thinking, not just for me, but lots of people. Primarily on LinkedIn is where we cross paths, like most things of, of recent times through through AI, but your work branches out beyond AI into a topic that um, is something that we all need to probably put back in our, our tool belt and think about a little more deeply um, as we were talking a little bit before the show. And so, Laura, thanks so much for joining. Before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of the work that you do, which is so uh, fascinating, who are you? What do you do? And what in the world you got going on? Uh, so my name is Laura Miller. I am the director of ethics at Shadowing AI. I'm also a trained ethicist. That means my major was in philosophy. And my studies in ethics weren't just ethics simply by conception or by rhetoric or theory, but I'm an applied ethicist, which means I like to see ethics doing work in our world. So, well, I guess that seems like the perfect segue to what have I been up to? <laughs> um, so what's going on? Let's see. I am working on a book right now on AI and well, it's AI ethics, but it's not just AI ethics. It's how businesses can do AI ethics. It's how it can innovate the work that you do. And when I say innovate, I don't mean innovate like I can save you time, which is extraordinarily valuable. And you'd never hear me say that it's not. But I'm talking about ethical innovation. I'm talking about how to do AI ethically even in your job or your official work capacity. What do best practices look like? Are there worksheets I can give you? Hint, there are. Um, for best practices, for figuring out workflows or policies, you know, what should I put in that pesky chat GPT box and what should I keep out of it? There's a lot more to keep out of it than you'd imagine. But also, how do I leverage it for good? And how do I'm sure, how am I sure that what we're doing is actually helping doing this the right way. And when we talk about doing things the right way, we're talking about doing ethics. So first up is the book. I have a uh, report coming out on nudging an AI and whether or not we should allow AI to influence our choices. That one's coming out. In the meantime, I'm teaching ethics classes at Webster University and having a blast there. My students are fantastic. Shout out to all of them. Um, in addition to that, I do webinars, presentations. I'll be speaking in person both in Columbus, Ohio in October at Applied Intelligence Live in September on Webster's stage, probably sometime in November. And rumor has it there will be some other ones thrown in there as well. I just did one last night. So I guess you could say I'm speaking, writing, teaching. But most importantly, what I'm hoping to do is reach out to everyone that I can and show them that doing ethics in our modern world is not only possible, but hey, I can give you some key, some KPIs and some ROI to attach to it too. So what am I doing? I'm doing ethics. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's, let's start there. There's other trails I want to explore, but I, as, as you're talking, as I was thinking for this, getting ready for this show, you know, I think of the word ethics, and you've doubled that up with doing ethics, which I really, really like. To me, it feels like one of those words, and I would throw words like equity, inclusion, 
and I don't, I'm not saying this like negatively, you know, that I might've had a little sarcastic tone, but I feel like there are words that everyone would not argue that they're not important. They'll say, yes, they're very important, but I feel like they just get tossed around so lightly and used like all the time in general conversation, but we're not, I guess I would push and say, are we actually doing what the word and what the things are? So I want to start with that. What is doing ethics to you? So we can kind of set the stage of understanding where you're coming at it from, because ethics is a hot topic conversation. I know I'm working with districts around position and policy and the ethical use and around AI and what that means. And sometimes it's, it's not an insult to the people. I'm like, do we even really even know what it is? you're trying to do what we're trying yeah. to do do we have that true outcome besides like we want to do what's best for students but like what do the words actually mean and then how do we actually create some supports and structures as well as guidance to help people get there so what is doing ethics to you well doing ethics is taking that original premise that you just had and making it actionable so we want to do good for students that sounds great that also sounds a little performative if you've got nothing to back it up with if you can't back that up with anything, specifically something measurable, actionable, you know, think smart goals, it's just a sentence. Mm -hmm. It's a well-intentioned, well-meaning, important sentence to say out loud. But, well, we have to back up our talk. And doing ethics is backing up the talk with substance. substance. So how are we going to improve experiences for students? What does that look like? What are we actually going to do? Are we going to limit the number of students in a class? Are we going to make technology available to them so that they have help more often? Are we going, there are tangible things that we can do to back up those kinds of overarching statements. Most people or many will stop at the statement and not take it any further. It sounds very much like a mission or a vision, but without action, you can't bring it into fruition. So it stays a mission and vision that stay these lofty ideals, largely unattainable because there's no method to the madness of how to get there. So when you're actually doing ethics, you're putting things and policies, processes, innovations, those kinds of things in place that say, you can tell that I've done this because you can look here and look there, and look there, and check this out, and look at this, and check this metric, and look at that. You know, it's so funny, because sometimes I make this weird analogy in my head, where when people write resumes, and we see on LinkedIn lots of people looking for work, right? And we hear that you have to make all of your achievements, you know, measurable, include metrics, do all of that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to things like ethics, and social good, and improving the situations for others, we act like metrics don't matter. Mm. As long as we say the right thing and our intentions are in the good place, it's enough. And unfortunately in our world, people have learned that good intentions will only take you so far. You need to show people the results that back up those intentions, not just the statements that kind of make you feel better to say, People are watching what you do. So if I hear you say something like that, my question to you back is, so what you doing? <laughs> because it always comes back to that word doing. What right. are you doing? You know, what does that actually look like? What things have you done? And then, yeah, please celebrate all of those. Put them out there. Let people know what you're doing. You know why? Because some people need ideas to get them started. And if they see what you're doing, it might give them ideas of things they can do. Now we've got a whole bunch of people doing things. And well, we're getting closer to doing ethics. But you have to back them up. Right. You know, if not, it's performative. And even those ESG reports that some businesses do, which I know is a little outside of academia, a lot of those, they ask for metrics, you know, show us what you've done. And when you're doing things, you've got to make sure those things that you're doing aren't performative too. We hired the right percentage of people. Doesn't matter if what you've actually done is given them a hollow role with no authority and no budget and no capability to do something too. Your doing should be able to spur the doing of someone else. In other words, it, you should be giving them the capabilities to do things too. 
So if you can't, if you don't do that and it stops with you, you haven't done it yet. Hmm. Once you realize you give somebody marching orders and they can take them and do something too, now you're getting somewhere. So as you're talking, I have this like mental mind map building in my head and it may not be accurate and it might be a little scary. Anything in between my ears can be a little scary at times. But as, as I'm ha- here listening to you talk about doing ethics, I can't help but like segue into like the idea of, of leadership, you know, and maybe it's 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 leadership with a, a lowercase L doesn't necessarily have to be an authoritative position, even though some of this is in there. I mean, do you see an overlap in that? Because I mean, I feel like as you're talking, I'm like, that's that, that's what good leaders do. They don't just, you know, talk to talk. They walk the walk. They 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 support. They bring people in. They try to encourage them and, and empower them. And so do you see a crossover there? Are those two separate things? Can you have one without the other? Do you naturally become a leader if you're doing ethics? Well, that, like, I'm just curious from, as you're talking, I'm thinking through, yeah. you know, building up my, my visual. Uh, okay. Well, the, the thing is anyone can empower someone else. Anyone can disempower someone else. The thing is whether or not you're going to be a catalyst for change in what's actually being done. So can team leads do it? Sure. Can just a really cool person on your team do it? Sure. Can a janitor or even someone in a service industry do it? Absolutely. Everyone and everyone's responsibilities, even their responsibilities for their role in their life, even someone like a stay-at-home mom can do ethics. It's what you're passing on to others and whether or not you're empowering them to do things or disempowering them so they can't. But can that lead to leadership? I would hope so. But even if you're working from home and, you know, it leadership in a work capacity isn't there, you still have the opportunity to lead by example. You still leave your house and run into people who work in grocery stores or who are checking you out at Starbucks. You know, here's your coffee. You know, you can still do ethics in that moment. You can appreciate the job they've done for you. You can tell them you hope they have a great day. You can tell them that, you know what, you really appreciate they made your coffee for you because you needed a break and you're grateful. It takes so little to put good into the world. And the not good is going to show up regardless. You can't control the not good. The not good is the stuff you just can't plan for. All of a sudden it's in front of you and you know, you're overwhelmed and it's there. But we have as many opportunities as there are milliseconds in the world to throw as much good into it as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And we often choose not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it can be anyone. But, yeah, I do think that working on those skills would be essential to even hone those leadership skills and really start. We talk about this in the DI world a lot, but seeing people for who they are, recognize their lived experiences. Uh, I work with a group that's integrate trauma informed, recognizing that people. This world beats up on people pretty hard. Mm. Hard. And that does just doesn't go away. It creeps into other relationships or work relationships, comes to the front door of our office. When you start looking at doing ethics and you start looking at how to empower people, you can't do that without recognizing that there's trauma there or that there's a way that people should be treated. When we talk about should, we're doing ethics and responding to that appropriately with some humility, some empathy, understanding even awareness that you haven't worn those shoes, you haven't walked that walk. And that you don't want to be part another part of the world that, you know, can take a lot out of someone. Instead, you can help fill them back up. You know, so doing ethics is about doing the right thing. It's about looking for just what's just fair, right, good. And seeing how you can be a vehicle for that. Whether it's through AI, through your work, through your job, through your leadership, through the people you can influence or your, you know, like local baseball team you're coaching. Just put it out there. Yeah. Start doing it. I love that. And I want to get into maybe, maybe I'll I'll plant a seed so you can kind of think about it because I'm going to, I'm going to give you a question, but then I'm going to give you another question, which I know is bad interview tactics, but um, I want to be thinking about like maybe a, a current headline example where we could maybe 
applying some of this doing ethics or thinking through any of the 10,000 headlines that come through the feeds right now around AI or maybe think this in ethics in general. But before we do that, um, I want to I want to go back a bit because what I what I want to know more about you actually is like where does this passion come from? Like I mean I'm I'm hearing it now. I have followed your work on LinkedIn um, for a little bit of time. I won't say forever. I crossed paths with you relatively this year, but I've gone through and read all your back stuff and I, I watched the recordings. I mean I just I learned so much from you. But I'm what I, what I'm curious is how did you get into this where you're like this is. I don't know, my calling maybe sounds a little lofty, but like, this is what I want to do. This is important to me. And here's how I'm going to go about doing it. Because the topic of ethics is so important, but then to kind of have that as a, I'll call it a job or a career. Like, it's not something that when you're in school, it's it's a choice. It's, you know, it, it's not on the counselor choice board uh, to be an ethicist. And so I, I'm just curious for maybe for my own good, how did you get to this career pathway? And then after that, then I want to think about an example, but I, I want to know a little bit, a little bit more about your journey. Well, the journey was kind of interesting because I don't really remember choosing ethics. I just, you know, if you talk to my mom, you know, she'd be like, ah, she always had her head in the clouds. And then, you know, she'd come out with weird things and I'd wonder where they came from. One of the earliest ones she remembers is there used to be some crazy commercial, like, you know, I can't believe it's not butter. And somebody would say, no, it's mother nature. And my mom said that my brother and sister were sitting there like watching the TV and looking at the commercial and, you know, and please know my mother loves me, but she kind of gives me some unique descriptions of me. And she's like, and you were sitting there kind of looking like you were totally confused by a simple commercial. So I thought maybe I needed to check in with you. And I said, you know, Lori, do you know, you know, like, do you know who mother nature is? And I stopped my daydreaming for, you know, a millisecond and I turned to her and I said, God's wife. And she blinked like four times and decided to end the conversation before, you know, her very young child of like three or four, you know, suddenly kind of made her brain cramp in a very uncomfortable <laughs> way. Now, my mom is an accountant. She's a math person. Two plus two always equals four. And I'm contemplating what God's spouse is. We might have been on slightly different pages. <laughs> you know, it's possible. Of course, my dad was a musician who was also in IT. So you put musician IT with accountant and somehow you get philosopher. They're not sure what happened. I'm not either. <laughs> I don't think they dropped me. I know I fell out a window. <laughs> you know, we're, you know, we're trying to figure that out. But I don't know. I don't know if it was that I kind of I don't think I was necessarily born with rose-colored glasses, more like I was born without them. Mm. You know, even from a young age, like. 11 they chose me to give like a sermon in church during youth sunday so i lectured the congregation on their treatment of the people who were impoverished and poor in the community that i walked past to go to school they didn't quite picture that from an 11 year old some people <laughs> back then thought that i might even go into the ministry like what do we do with a child like this give right. them to the people who trust god they'll figure it out you know, <laughs> um, you know there was hope um but then I also did, I was in graphic design for a long time before I went back to school and found philosophy. Now, interestingly, when I was studying art, I was a philosophy minor because I had always fell in love with the ideas that there were questions that didn't have easy answers, but you could try to answer them anyway. And that's philosophy. So when I was in design, there, we, there was a billboard contest and you had to make one on an endangered species. So we had giraffes, lions, and panda bears, you know, like endangered species, and it's a cute panda bear. My submission got banned from the competition um, and wouldn't even be allowed to be judged because they were traumatized by it because I drew a desert with a starving child. And my view of an endangered species wasn't some animal unrelated to us. It had a lot to do with how we cared for the other people in the world and what we knew was happening while we were worried about other things that make no mistake. I fully believe in animal rights and not harming them. But even at, say I was 14 then, 15, 16, even then I just took a deeper view of things 
that generally left people befuddled, <laughs> you know, like, what do we do with her? <laughs> you know, like, is she okay? Does she need counseling? Like, what, do we fix this? You know, maybe right. we can like take it out of her. Mm. And honestly, even my work in graphic design was in DEI. I did projects like Open Your Mind, Gender, Race, and Age. I always got those projects that involved taking care of people and seeing who they really were and the situations that they were in. Mercifully, I ended up going back to school. They told me not to major in art because I already had a portfolio. So I signed up for some normal art history classes, then ended up having to change into some philosophy classes because of schedule changes and next thing you know I'm invited to join the philosophy department so I sent the Mighty Python's philosopher song which is a drinking song for those people <laughs> who don't know I actually put the clip in the email and replied like would you like to talk about this I found myself a philosophy major and I found home I found that that's what I'd been trying to do and I didn't know what it was either and suddenly I got around a bunch of people who were like we know exactly what to do with those thoughts and not only that, we can teach you how to harness them and we can show you the good that they can do. And we can show you why the world struggles to do that kind of good and those kinds of things that you're seeing. And we can even help you articulate them and even overcome objections to people who don't see the same value in it. This is an entire discipline. It's ours and you're one of us. And suddenly I was like, for the first time, like somebody was like, wow, I can actually embrace that stuff instead of keep it on the down low and pretend I'm really not thinking about that stuff when I am. Yeah. And it just, all of a sudden I tapped into that and I realized I didn't have to make it appealing or fit corporate or, you know, package it somehow so I could do it on the down low where nobody really realized it. And I just stepped into it fully and ended up with both a bachelor's and a master's in ethics, philosophy proper. So like six years of life's biggest problems, life's biggest challenges, our society's biggest challenges, the obstacles to solving them, the reasons why it's difficult to win arguments with people who disagree with you and how to overcome that and still stake a claim and say there's a better way. And all of a sudden I was me, 100% and on fire. And I don't want the flame to go out. So I keep doing it and lighting myself on fire over and over again. <laughs> um, sometimes it feels like hitting a head into a brick wall, but I can't really imagine being any other way. And it finally made sense. Like, oh, that was trying to come out of me all this time. And I was using artwork to let it come out of me because that's one of the ways that, you know, it can be palatable for it to come out, to challenge society and make things that make people think. You think of artists as breaking down those walls. So I went back to one of my former art instructors and I was like, um, somehow I'm a philosopher, not an artist. And she looked at me, I was like, so I guess I broke my hand or something. And she started laughing and she's like, who the heck told you your art was in your hand? She's like, it's a creative mind. It's just however it's going to come out of you. If you want it to come out of you as philosophy and words, fine. If you want it to come out of you in images, great. But your mind works different, sees differently, understands things differently. Why would you fix that? And I was like, yeah. yes. So like even the artists got it. So then, um, like I said, I stepped into it a million percent. And when AI really started to blow up, well, even more before AI blew up, as I started looking into the problems of the world, I started to realize technology was that one thing that could get to them all. It was that one thing that could get to all of us. It could get to those problems. It could get to the things that we've been struggling with. And I can make it make sense now because I have the philosophy piece. Because I'm not your regular tech ethics. I didn't come up in tech and then find ethics. I found ethics and then found tech. Mm -hmm. So... That being in IT doesn't hurt. <laughs> but right. I took all of that together and I'm like, no, wait, I can do this. I can put this all together. And holy cow, I can put it all together. And then, you know, I struggled with how to put it together. And, you know, everyone came back to everything, everyone I talked to. So it's like, use your voice. It makes sense when you say it. You know, you have to talk to people to get it out there. So I started talking to LinkedIn <laughs> um, and it's been a heck of a ride since that happened. But 
I would just, if somebody, you know, looks at my profile and they're like, how the heck did she do that? Or what is she doing now? Or what's going on? You know, my answer is I'm being me just with the training wheels off and a gas pedal. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest with you, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of life, right? To figure yeah, out so I hope that kind of are. a long rambly answer answered your question. No, it does. I mean, it, I think it, it it sets up so nicely because I think you know one of the things as as this AI is coming to the fold and it's impacted everybody in some shape or form, whether they realize it or not, whether they know anything about AI or not. Um, you know, one of the things that I I have found really fascinating is the it's not just tech. And it's not just like, hey, here's all the new flashy tools. And in education, that happens a lot. It happens in business too, I know, where it's like, you know, here's this platform, here's 10, 100 tools that you can use and make your life better. That stuff's important. I'm, I, I I like those things too. But what I think is really fascinating about what AI has has done is I feel it's brought together so many sectors of work and people and industry that don't normally cross-pollinate. And I have seen a lot of, philosopher philosophy background people enter ai because of those life big questions and i've seen business having conversation with education and education now hearing from people outside of the the k-12 space and sometimes we keep ourselves so isolated and i think that is something that's really fascinating because it's it's forcing people now to really kind of hammer down like what is my stance what is my position well, you know what are the ethics if we're after getting to that point and so well, imagine me as an ethicist watching the entire world sitting around and starting to have conversations about ethics yeah. i mean we stopped hiring them as majors you know we defund them in schools you know they're the department most likely to go away because you know we have 30 majors in a school of twenty thousand students and yet now suddenly the entire world is like wait, we don't know how to do this, you know? And I'm like, you're kind of right. right? <laughs> Although I think at your core, you do. I think yeah, you don't yeah. know how to do it in like an official capacity or do it consistently, but you know the good stuff. We all kind of, it's kind of ingrained in us. It's kind of in our DNA that we kind of know what the good stuff is, but doing it sustainably, consistently, measurably, all of those great things that we need in businesses is incredibly difficult, but just to see the entire world light up with a discipline that I've loved apparently since I was eight and didn't even know what it was, um, you know, while trying to figure out who God's wife was. Um, it's such a cool moment to watch our world that has still maintained its focus on profit and should people need jobs, they need money to pay bills, you know, I'm not anti, you know, the ability to make money, take care of yourself. But ethics is finally coming back and it can help you with DI. It can help you with work from home. It's not just AI. This is as much an AI revolution as it is an ethics revolution too, where we're finally bringing it back and saying, okay, it can't just be, you're going to tell us you're going to treat people well. We want to see you treat people well. We don't want to hear about your privacy policy. We want to know that it's a solid privacy policy that protects us. We're starting to have literally not only all these different disciplines and areas talking to each other. They're talking to each other and having an ethical conversation. And I've got to tell you, for me, it doesn't get much better than that. Even if I'm not at the table having that conversation, I'm still in the background celebrating everyone who is. I'm like, go have another conversation. You found another <laughs> ethicist right on. You know, feel free to come to my profile, start checking out the other ethicists, you know. Yeah. Because it's such an overdue conversation and one of the greatest problems that we have in our world is that we lost track of what the people need, how they should be treated, and what we really need from our world, from our society, from the businesses we do uh, business with and are in relationship with from our employment. We kind of lost the whole people aspect. Hmm. You know, we went, you know, all business, but we lost the people. And now the pendulum is swinging back the other way. What I'd like to see is emerge halfway in between where we have business interests in mind because they do support our lives and the things that we want to do and to pay for vacations to go on with family and stuff like that, but meshed with ethics rather than ethics is on the outside and we're trying to figure out how to pull it in. What I'd like to see in the end is that our lives just include it as a default. 
because I think really that's what people are asking for when they don't like your privacy policies. That's what people are asking for when they say, can I work from home? That's what people are asking for when they're like, why is DEI performative? And where did the A go? By the way, it's DEIA. The accessibility piece is important to everyone who has a disability and needs a different treatment from you. You know, everything that's broken or that's struggling or that we're fighting against is all connected to this ethics stuff. If we can do it, we'll have done it. Yeah. And so let's maybe <laughs> frame it in a way. Do we, do we have time to like go through an example? Do you have? Okay. So let's maybe snag one of those headlines where I kind of planted a seed in your mind. And I was just to kind of help like the listeners think through this, because I think what you're and I don't think I know the people listening, like what you're saying is resonating and it hits on a lot of levels. And I know most of the people that listen to this are educators. And so this whole idea of how do we do right in this case with kids, like that is just like the whole, like the energy of, of most educators is like, I want to do what's best for everybody. And that's why they spend their own money and they work countless hours and all the things that go with it, you know? And so let's, let's, Take an example. I mean, I was looking through your LinkedIn and there's, I mean, every day there's something new there and we can, we can go a whole different route. Like I know you had some thoughts around, you know, some of the AI stuff that can potentially read brains or, or read minds and brainwaves and stuff. And you had an interesting statement on there, like just because we can, maybe the bigger question is, should we, you know, I know you've also posted and this might get me in hot water for mentioning because uh, I'm in the state, but even in Iowa with, um, some people using AI to figure out how to ban uh, certain books, you know, in schools. And I think you cross-posted someone else named Lydia, who she had a cool comment on there that said, you know, using using the output of AI is not the issue. It's the book ban, you know? So I don't know one of those, or they could be a whole different one, because I think there's maybe not a misconception, but it gets really kind of murky trying to figure out, I think, as you're talking, the ethics. I think people know in their core how to do it they just don't know how to maybe get started to like move into like the doing um and so i don't know if it's one of those or you can pick another one maybe something along those lines where you could kind of talk us through how to think through some of the ethical stuff or the ethics to it um because that might help people take that first step forward if they're well, since, since we're doing um a largely academic audience let's do the book bands because yeah. that's that's a very relevant topic. So I had posted that um, a school district banned books, the library, I believe if I remember correctly, uh, the library got together very quickly. They probably had a database of all the titles that were in the, in the library and ran it through AI to get suggestions on which books to pull and immediately pulled them. You know, because ChatGPT works in an instant, so you can get an instant answer. They got their instant answer and pulled the books. Now, my peer, Lydia, um, had made a comment that, um, you know, yes, technically ChatGPT did it, but the real problem was about what the book bans were, what books were banned, which content, what topic, and the reasons why. And she's got a great point because the the AI facilitated it, but somebody had to have the idea to ban that first. So it started with the idea. Now, my comment that piggybacked on that, because I wouldn't piggyback, I wouldn't take hers, that's hers. No, right, right. But my comment was, but think about the speed. Like when we talk about doing ethics, one of the challenges is, this will make this conversation really interesting and fun, <laughs> is people sometimes have a very different idea of what doing good is. And they don't always align. And I'm sure the people that banned the books thought they were doing something good, doing something good. They yes, put a yes. book ban in place and said, this content we're worried about with children, it should go away. Let's get it out of the library. My comment was that it was instantaneous, that it was so quick, how fast it happened. Because what it did is it eliminated any discourse for anyone who disagreed because it had already happened before people had even realized it happened. 
you know? So it's like, well, oh, we're going to ban these books. And you think, okay, in a week, they'll do something that gives me a chance to, you know, call up some, you know, some people representing the school and, you know, say, wait, hold up. What are you doing? And can we have another hearing about this? And normally you have that pause to be able to say, okay, wait, what are we doing? And for people who have worked in schools, regardless of whether you're an admin or not, if you're an admin, you've taken those calls. If you're not an admin, you've likely made one of those calls. Okay. But you know that that's part of the process. But what AI did here was shortcut that process. So for me, when I read it, it was as much about the ban as much as it was sort of about the AI. But the interest in the AI for me was that now we can have what other people think is good, which they did, giving them best intentions. They believed it was good. And it can take place in a blink. Now, that shortcuts that reflective part that so many educators really like you know we like the reflective part yeah right it interrupted all of that and took away any chance to object and my concern was when we're making decisions for groups or for large numbers of people or in this instance a library to i believe teach i think it was a regular library a school library um to when we talk about who the library can influence we're talking about a group of people and when we're making a decision like that, both people, both sides, multiple sides, there shouldn't just be two, multiple sides serve to be heard so that we can find out when we're making decisions for groups where that balance point is. Maybe some of those titles are a little intense, depending on the age of the group of the person who's most likely to check it out, blah, blah, blah. Maybe AI could help us figure out who's most likely to check it out and see if it really is the children or what age. Maybe that makes a difference. But it shortcut all that reflection and even that, how do we find that balance point between competing ideas? And none of that happened and instead the books were gone. So my concern about that was, do we want some of those decisions to be made that quickly based on what one side believes to be the good in a very divided nation, country, city, even small towns. We have to admit societally we're split in half. And what one side thinks is good and what the other side thinks is good can be opposed. Now, some people say, see, this is why ethics can't happen. Right? Because, well, if somebody thinks one thing and somebody else thinks another, A and B both can't be true, so nothing's true. I mean, I've taken logic, so you know we get how that works. <laughs> However, that's not entirely an accurate view. Instead, we can recognize that in choices that only impact us, maybe what we think individually seems good should apply for us. But when you start making decisions that are impact others and you recognize that half of them believe just as strongly as you do in the exact opposite thing that you do, that what seems like it's going to be a balancing point is far more, for those of you who are kind of philosophical nerds, far more Aristelian, and you're going to be looking for that golden mean and that balance point between the two, deontology and rule-based ethics, and I'm going to pick a rule and follow the rule, and the rule is books about this are always going to be banned. It's going to be a challenge. Hmm. Trying to figure out what the greatest good is for the greatest number could help us. We could also get lost in calculus forever. Or we could do something like balance. You know, can we or would we, even if we're staunchly against book bans, maybe cave on a couple of titles so that we could keep others? Where is that balance? Because we do have to recognize that divide. But that divide can be navigated. I navigate it all the time in my classroom. Believe me, all of my students do not hold the same view as every other student. There are some very disparate views in my courses. And some of them just sign up to my courses so they can fight with somebody. So, you know, it's it's forever fun. By the way, there's no fighting in my class. And if there are, well, I'm supposed to, you know, come out on top. But we know those views are out there. So instead of pretending they don't exist and they're insurmountable and there's nothing we can do, so I guess we'll just chuck ethics out the window. We actually have to do the ethics part which means we have to allow the deliberation to occur and we have to start looking for some compromises. And we know, as we know, the best compromise is everybody loses something, but they also keep something. So we might as well tackle the big monkey in the room, which is 
yeah, but it's not consistent. What I think is good is different than what you think is good. Well, that might be the case. And I hope that whoever you have relationships with and the way you raise your family fit as best as you can, because your children can go rogue, just know that. Uh, but fit as best as you can, that I get to share that view of what I think is right and wrong with my children. When we start talking about society and larger groups, we have to deal with the fact that we're talking about larger groups. We can't just pretend they don't exist or use AI to do things so quickly that we've acted as though they don't exist. So my concern was speed and how quickly somebody can make what they want be the thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's deep. I like that. I like that. You know, <laughs> as you're, as you're thinking, I mean, as you're talking, it, some of the stuff that I've become really passionate about, it's always been there, but I didn't come up with the thing, but, but I, it's, it's kind of been like at my core is this idea of like human pedagogy. And I think AI then allows us to, if I look at some of the positive expedites, maybe lower level tasks, we can get into the deeper conversations on on things. And that's where I think the real power of, of learning can be is when we do have discourse and we do have conversations and we do teach how to debate, just what you're, what you're talking about. And unfortunately that just like those skills are lost and, and nobody listens. I mean, now it's, I mean, you see it time and time again, where here's my thing, here's what I think, boom. And, and you share what you think, Laura, and, and then we, we walk away and just get more mad and keep trying to charge the, the same storyline versus like, exactly what you were spot on like how do we find some of that balance where you know we can all walk away feeling somewhat fulfilled and where we're going but that idea of speed is 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 really really insightful because when it can push forward a particular view kind of on other people is a big deal because you can make whatever your moral view is happen instantaneously and trust me there are people who are going to be trying to do that now to work on the other side too so it'll frustrate both sides because right. please, yeah. no mistake that somebody can undo that with a click of a button too. But neither side really should be making those kinds of ethical choices for the other side, shortcutting discourse and not looking for compromise. If you're doing that, let me be clear, you are not doing ethics even though you put forth a moral view and jammed it through as quick as you humanly possibly could that's not doing ethics doing ethics doesn't have to be slow but it does need deliberative it does need to consider the opposing views it does need to understand that what you do to someone else they can do right back to you so maybe we ought to just kind of back away a little bit and you know think some things through yeah, because it can go both ways. They might not do it with the fans. They might pick something else that's really important to you. And now suddenly you're living according to their rules. And now you're really upset that you were fine when the book ban went through. Like we need to start really seeing the other side and the other people. And I think we can do that kind of in the way that I talked about earlier, where I was like, you know, you can practice with the people checking you out at Starbucks. You could practice at, you know, if you're at the store, you know, and somebody cuts you off and takes your parking spot, you know, you can choose how you're going to respond to that. But once you start seeing people and you start seeing them more theor- more clearly, the intention is that you'll be less tempted to disregard them on situations that matter and enter into that deliberative space where it says, I'm willing to hear you because I feel like I'm seen. I feel like I've heard. I feel like, you know, like the world sees me now so I can be safe and have that interaction with you. That's what I create in my classrooms all the time. In order for students to seriously deliberate stuff they feel very strongly about, they have to feel safe to do so. And not that their view is going to get trampled or somebody's going to trample them or they're going to trample someone else. So we have to start from this place of all views are welcome and that we're not judging the view. We're trying to reach a decision that shifts it so that you can have a conversation and not a fight or an argument. And nobody's doing a mic drop and walking off because that doesn't work well. Now, do some students still try it? Yeah, of course they do. But they're practicing it too. And that's kind of okay when you're practicing. But I think we need to get to practicing. Yeah, absolutely. And so as I think through this and man, I can just talk to you all day on this and keep my gears turning. <laughs> but I, wanna, I, I do want to be respectful 
of your time. And so you've shared a lot for people to think about in, in a really, really good way. And I'm just, I can't wait to go back and listen to this again as I, as I get it. That's one of the joys is it's one thing in the moment to go back and listen to it again and, and, and really yeah. harness maybe some other things. So to be respectful of your time, you, you've, you've shared some excellent ideas in the big picture. You've taken us through kind of this example with the book ban, you know, what are, what are next steps for people? Um, I'm thinking they're going to listen to this and we've talked about, I can't remember if it was before or during the recording, like, you know, one of your calls is to like, when people get done hearing you speak or in your class or wherever you have an opportunity to, to share some of your, your insights, you want people to be able to move into action or take something away. So right. can you talk a little bit about what you have going on for those that maybe are interested in learning more about how to do ethics? And they're like, I just... I just need some ideas, examples, some some tools or things to figure out how I can start thinking about applying that, whether with themselves or in their classroom or with their business or with their family or whoever, um, in any shape or form. Talk a little bit about that because I think it's it's really exciting, for, one, for you, but two, for others to know that uh, we're not just talking about it, or I should say, you're not just talking about it. You, you, you've got stuff out there that is, I think, going to be be really, really helpful for others. Well, I think um, when we're talking about different things, there are different things that you can do depending on what your capacity is. Uh, first, you can always find me on LinkedIn and drop me a message and tell me what you're working on and I'll give you some ideas. Um, I generally have ideas. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just kind of how my brain works. Um, it just doesn't shut up. So give it something to focus on. It'll make me happy. Um, but, you know, so feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Next, I have been working on um, some best practices, some documents, some worksheets, those kinds of things to help people tackle on the job kinds of dilemmas. I've also been working on best practices for if you're going to use AI in your classroom. I hope to be posting those to my LinkedIn profile under featured posts probably in the next week or two. Let me um, kind of wrap my head around you know, the right. 400 projects. So, but the other thing is, you know, you don't have to wait for me. Mm. You really don't, you know? When you see someone at the water cooler or, you know, since we don't really do water coolers anymore, uh, if you happen to be in office because you've been forced back, start a conversation with someone and see if you can, you know, it's a trick I give my students, see if you can just lean into their view. You know, don't disagree with them. Ask them to tell you more. You can learn a lot by listening to people who disagree with you as well as agree with you. Disagreement is far more interesting to listen to and you can learn far more faster. You can also just do the kind of basic things that I said, start treating people different in your day-to-day -day life. You know, be aware that, you know, late in the afternoon meetings are frowned upon, try to make them earlier so people can log out for the day, especially if they're working in person. Um, it's really going to be about practicing that skill of seeing other people who they are in their authenticity and giving space around their views, even when you know they, they disagree with you. Um, if you need help, particularly with AI and technology, you can let me know what particular questions are. If there's something I can put together that I can make public to the masses, I do. You know, I have no problem doing that. Um, but don't just wait for me. You know, the task is to leave this meeting and make one choice that you would have made differently before you heard this. Mm. You know, and if you can do that, you're already started, you know? And then if you're like, oh, I don't know if that worked, try it again, it'll work. You'll get there. You might have to practice it a few times. But the first part is going to be seeing people authentically in their moment, being authentic with you, not putting on this performative, this is who I need to be with you. But instead, this is what I really think, this is what I really feel, getting to that point where that open door really is open, regardless of who's on the other side of the door, a child, a spouse, a coworker, or boss, regardless. We have to start being a lot more open about what we see, what we think, what we need, what we know. So we understand exactly how diverse all the views are, how far apart we are, so we can look for those moments of compromise. And if you're in a position where you could compromise, but you really want to stomp your foot and have your way, maybe don't. 
if there's room for you to compromise where, you know, it's not going to cost you, you know, anything substantial, right? but you're just like, I really don't want to cave to this person because I disagree with almost everything that they say. Maybe give a little bit more than you would have normally. Try doing it differently than what we've been doing, because honestly, that is doing ethics, because what we've been doing isn't. So it's simple changes. It's little things. And then if you need some of the big stuff with work and things like that, send me an IM or a DM and I'll take care of that. You know, it's it's just the practical stuff, down to earth stuff. You know, my interactions with people, my interactions with family, how I'm going to handle my work, who I'm going to lean on for help when I'm behind. Is it always the same person? They might not want to be that person. Maybe spread the wealth, you know, ask somebody else when you're in a pinch, you know, but make those simple choices to start reminding yourself, I'm going to start doing ethics now. And maybe the way I've been doing things isn't exactly the best one. And if you have been working on doing ethics, stay the course, even when other people seem to not be getting the memo. I'm talking to as many as I can to make sure they get the memo just as often as I possibly can. I think I've done 26 or 28 webinars since January. And I've done in-persons too. I'm working with you. I'm trying. I promise. Don't stop. Okay? We're trying. We're out here, I promise. So see what you can do, but see what you can do differently because you have opportunities all around you. Start looking for them. They're there. I love it. I love it. And I think that is a a perfect place to uh, wrap up our our conversation because I think it it leads the listener into what are you going to do as you get out of your car or wherever you're listening to the podcast on your walk with your dog you know, what is that? What's, what's that first time you're going to do to do different? And I, I like that. I like that. It frames it up as in, in a good, simple way. And sometimes the simple is the most powerful. And then sometimes we like to overcomplicate the things. And so yes. that is just see what happens. Try it. You know what I mean? I always tell people like the world isn't going to completely fall apart by trying to do something Go different ahead. or unique. And so, yeah, like you said, yeah, do some good. So Laura, I will definitely, for those listening, get your LinkedIn profile linked into the show notes and some of the other things that we've talked about. And I know you've got, you're part of all sorts of different groups and yes. <laughs> an advocacy things, which I'll, I'll, I'll link mm-hmm. in some of those just for people to be aware that this work is happening, you know, um, around. And I think some of that's just, just awareness. We don't know what we don't know. And so I can't thank you enough. This has truly been really, really thought provoking, um, mind-opening conversation it gives me a lot to think about think about what i'm going to do different uh when we hit get done hit record here and i know it's gonna have an impact on a lot of listeners so so thank you so much for uh taking some time i know you've got a lot going on and uh really really appreciate it and uh, respect all the stuff that you got going on and, and and continue to to be one of those beacons of light to make some change well thank you everyone and well i look forward to seeing you again so yes, me on there Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.